How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlik Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. How's it going, friends? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Xander Fryer, and today we're going to be interviewing my good friend, Kent Clothier. Now, Kent is the founder of Real Estate Worldwide, a disruptive leader in the education and real estate world, but he's also so much more than that. He's built a $1.8 billion business by the time that he was 30, and he's handled, he handles tens of thousands of real estate transactions every single year, speaks on some of the biggest stages around the world, and on top of it all... He's an amazing husband and father. Now, in this episode, we're going to dig into how he built his first company to $1.8 billion, then proceeded to lose every penny over the next two years. Crazy, right? Why most people don't succeed in business and how to make sure that you do as an entrepreneur. We're going to talk about what he thought were his last moments on a plane flight as it was going down in flames and what he was doing, what he was thinking about when he thought he was going to die and how it changed his business forever. We're also going to dig into some real estate projections in 2022 and over the next three to five years. So if you're into real estate, you are not going to want to miss this. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on your social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. And for all our shit you don't learn in college fans out there, if you've gotten any value from our podcast, be sure to grab the book, Shit You Don't Learn in College. You can get it on Amazon or at www.sydlicbook.com to get some free giveaways there as well. Again, that's sidlicbook.com. You're not going to regret it. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Xander Fryer, welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I've got my new best friend, Kent Clothier here. Kent, welcome to the show. What's happening, brother? Glad to be here, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm, I'm grateful that you made the trek up from La Jolla, yeah, even the, though it takes about 40 minutes just, to get, the, just to get to the freeway. Um, exactly. So, Kent, you have... Uh, You've made a lot of money over the course of your career, even from a young age in you know, a completely separate business from the real estate game. Um, you've had some big ups and you've had some big downs. I think I'd love to just start with your story as an entrepreneur, how you got started, how you got to where you are now. So you know, all the way back to the, the grocery business days. Yeah, no, I um, look, I was raised by an entrepreneur, yeah. uh, which is... First and foremost, a huge leg up. So, I was going to say, very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I got to watch my father in the grocery industry, um, uh, grocery stores, convenience stores, all that kind of stuff. At a very, very young age, I was out there working in those stores, doing all that kind of stuff. And then when I was 17, he started um, an arbitrage business where yeah. we had, we were effectively buying, and it's called the gray market. Effectively, what happens <laughs> is a, 
uh, a manufacturer of any item you see in a grocery store. So a grocery store has roughly 40 to 50,000 items in it, right? Yeah. So every single one of those items is sold at a very specific price yeah. in a particular market at a particular time. Ironically, it is not sold at the same price in many other markets, quite frankly, all over the country. So when you when you see a different market, one market could be Florida, another market could be exactly. California. It could be as, as different as San Diego versus Temecula. Right? Seriously? Yeah. I mean, oh, I didn't even I didn't realize that. Yeah, it does not have to be. I mean, it is has nothing to do with geography. It has yeah. to do with a manufacturer wanting to gain market share in a very specific location. Interesting. Right? And so what they do when they do that is they come in and they offer that item to a suppliers in the area, stores in the area at a significant discount. Yeah. The moment they do that, they create a price discrepancy. Yeah. And so it takes some honor, you know, entrepreneurs to come in there and realize that this product is being sold significantly cheaper less here in one market than it is in any other market. Yeah. So why don't I go make a deal and buy that product out of the back door of a grocery store or out of the back door of a warehouse, a supplier, an exporter, whoever, yeah. and put it on a truck. Yep. and pay all cash for it and turn around and ship it when the manufacturer isn't selling it. Isn't yeah. Arbitrage at its finest. Right? So that is so. So for anybody that's wondering, that's what arbitrage is. If you've ever heard right. the term before yeah. and wondered what it is, that's essentially. Well, now, if you think about it, today, people do this all the time online, yeah. right? They go, and oh, you, I mean, I've seen these videos, whether it's on TikTok, Instagram, whatever. Hey, I'm over here and I'm buying something in this store, this surplus, yep. whatever, and then I'm turning around, throwing it up on Amazon or throwing it up on eBay. Yeah, just imagine doing that at scale. Do it, do a lot of it. Yeah, right. the, the, we just had uh, Eric Muller on here. He's an expert in Airbnb, and you know, Airbnb a few years ago, arbitrage was super hot. Right, you right. could you could rent a place for two thousand bucks and put it on Airbnb and make six thousand bucks. Hundred percent. That's arbitrage. Yeah, you're, you're not pay this much, and then you're yeah. not manufacturing anything. You're not making anything. You are simply playing on the inefficiencies of the market. Yeah, it's that simple. Yeah, right? and so we started this business. Like I said, when I was seventeen, by the time I was thirty, or by, I'm sorry, by the time I was twenty-three, we were doing roughly fifty million dollars a year. Never went to college. Just sat there and good job, man. Figured out how good to job. figured out how to make a lot of money doing yeah. this. Uh, my father retired out of that business, and then I took the business from 23 to 27 and turned it into roughly about a little over $100 million a year Yeah, um, based down in Memphis, Tennessee. And then a company stepped in and acquired our company and moved me down to Boca Raton, Florida. Mm -hmm. So I here I am, a 27-year-old guy, um, moved from Memphis, Tennessee to Boca Raton, Florida, which if you've never been to Boca Raton, it's kind of like... I was kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies, bro. Yeah. You know, I'm coming yeah. in, uh, fish out of water. Yeah. Um, you know, you make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year there. You are the lowest guy on the totem pole, even back when I was there. Yeah. And so I come in and lo and behold, the guys that bought the company uh, wanted me as much as they wanted anything else. Right. Two, yeah. guy, two young guys that are like, listen, we bought the company for you. Here's the keys to our $800 million a year business. Wow. Start running it. Wow. And uh Lo and behold, by the time I was 30, turned it into $1.8 billion a year, uh, seventh largest privately held company in the state of Florida, doing the exact same thing I had always done 30, before. 30 years old, running a $1.8 billion a year Correct. company. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, I, and, you know, I by no means deserve all the credit, right? Yeah. There, when you get to that kind of level, you are surrounded by amazing, amazing yeah. people. I was, um, was going to ask you, like, obviously, like, you didn't go to Harvard for your MBA for this, no. right? Like, so, so that process of from 17 to 30, 
Like what were some of the biggest, like biggest ways that you actually, cause we all know you have to learn, you have to educate. So what were some of the biggest ways that you continued to grow during that process? Uh, mentoring. Mentoring. I mean, I had very, very, and I didn't realize that's what it was at the time. Yeah. Right? It's only in the, most of us don't, it's only in the yeah. getting distance from it, looking back and realize all these impactful people. Right. Yep. Um, so my father certainly was a huge mentor in my life. A gentleman by the name of Sal Ricciardi, who was the president of the company there, Jeff Levitetz, who was the CEO of the company, the two owners and founders, yeah. uh, had significant impact on my life, yeah. right? They took a 27-year-old kid, bet on him, and uh, put me in a position and empowered me to do a lot of things that, quite frankly, you know, when I look back and I'm like, I cannot even believe they did this. <laughs> that know? they let you do that. Yeah. yeah. But the reality was, you know, the big lesson there uh, and the reason why I think they did that was simply because... There's something to be gained from the naivety. Yeah. Right? There's something to be gained of having somebody come in and look at a problem, look at a business, and more than willing to say, why are we doing this? Without the stigma, without the social. I had no emotional attachment to it. I simply didn't care. Yeah. Uh, It was irrelevant to me. All I cared about was how do we do more? Yeah. And there's how do, we, be, how do we grow? How, how do we, we get grow? Better, how do we and get I was more than willing to. I wasn't. I had not fallen in love with any particular process or employee yeah. or situation or anything. Yeah. I just cared about how do we do more. Yeah. And there's a lot to be gained from that. You know, naivety is to come in there and just say, why can't we? Yeah. And I think it's one of the things that a lot of people lose in their journey. Right. The world. A lot of people, by the time they get into entrepreneurship, the world has already beaten them up. Yeah. And whether that is through friends or family or media or, you know, other experiences, the world has already gotten a hold of them and beat them down to a place where they just, they're, you know, they don't understand how powerful we really are when we are kids. And I think to that point too, I want everybody to understand sometimes the beatings are not as like obvious as you think. It's not everybody just being like, you suck, you're terrible. You can't do this. Sometimes it's, you know, in a loving way, your parents saying like, oh, I don't think that would be good for you. Yeah, be careful. Well, be careful. Oh my God. Like, one yeah. Of my, yeah, be careful. Maybe that's not it the come, best it comes idea. From a, it comes from a place of love. Yeah. But quite frankly, if you are not surrounding yourself with people who have been there, yeah, done that, they're living the life that you want to live, then you don't have any business taking advice from them. Yeah. Period. We had, we had Rob Dial on the show a few weeks ago and he said, I found it very backwards that people wanted me to go to college, even though I wanted to be an entrepreneur, because I would, he's like, a mentor once told me, you know, go learn from people who've done it. 100%. Well, I don't want to be a professor. So why am I going to college to learn how to be an entrepreneur? hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, luckily I was just brought up in an environment where um, I certainly had the opportunity to go to college. It was just nothing that appealed to yeah. me. And I, there was no pressure. Yeah. Um, there was no stigma. In fact, it was exactly opposite. It was go out there. You are unique. You have this gift. Go out there and do whatever you can to explore it. Take risk. Be willing to fall down. Um, unfortunately, quite, you know, looking back, <laughs> I I didn't fail from the time I was 17 till the time I was 30. Yeah. Right. You know, so I, I, I want, I, I want to say that again for anybody who missed it. Unfortunately, I yeah. didn't fail. Yeah. Unfortunately, my first real dramatic failure came when I was 30 years old. So from 17 to 30, you know, that's 13 years of effectively everything I touched turning to gold. Yeah. At very, very uh, important years in your journey, right? So imagine, you know. Critical years, brain development and personality development. Think about about whether it's NBA stars or 
musicians or celebrities, right? When we see all these people in their prime, their 20s to 30s, and they are killing the game, yeah. right? And crushing it. And then suddenly they're off. Something happens. Well, they're out, right? Yeah. I mean, suddenly they retire, whatever the case may be, and they struggle, they suffer. They, you know, the, yeah. And it's a whole new understanding. I kind of had a little bit of that, wow, yeah. right? Where I just had never been in a situation to where I really struggled. Yeah. Um, I mean, I struggled in business, but nothing like getting nothing you know, game changing. Game, nothing game changing. But in third, when I turned thirty, March fourteenth of two thousand, uh, I went in and uh, because I had a lot of equity. Uh, well, clearly, I own my company, <laughs> and when I sold that company, I didn't retain any equity. So. Here I am, had just built a company or helped build a company from 800 million to 1.8 billion. Yeah. And uh, had just had the most uh, extraordinary year in the history of the company. And I come in and say, guys, I want, um, I want to get a little bit of equity back. Yeah. Right. And they, they kind of scoffed at me. Yeah. Uh, at 7.30 in the morning on March 14th. I will never forget it. I had not even made it to my office. Still had my briefcase over my shoulder. And that it just hit me wrong the yeah. way they kind of, that's never going to happen. And I quit right then. Wow. Didn't think about it. Had not thought about it uh, at any moment prior to that one second where the words came out of my mouth. Wow. Um, and walked out of there. And so here's a, you know, making millions of dollars a year. But again, going back to being naive and being a fair, a very sheltered at that point, because yeah. I had lived and breathed this business. I was the first one there in the morning. I was the last one to leave. I took pride in getting to that office at six o'clock in the morning, not leaving until eight o'clock at night, being there on Saturdays, pouring my heart and soul into it and had always been rewarded for that success in every possible way, the adoration, the, the uh, compensation, you name it, every reward you could possibly get inside. I had, yeah, I had got it. And so I just believed at some level, I guess, subconsciously that I was just going to go out and start another business yeah. and be right back to being successful. Well, because that's all you'd seen. Your track record, yeah, I, your track record was nothing but I had no gold. other. Yeah there, yeah. there was no other experience to tell me differently. Yeah. And, uh, but it was waiting for me. Yeah. <laughs> it was waiting in the wings. It always is. And so, yeah. So, I can't remember who I was talking to the other day and they're like, every entrepreneur goes through the hero's journey, right? You know, at some point you always go through the, the pit of despair. Yeah. And then he followed up with, and for anybody out there who hasn't been through the pit of despair, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. A hundred At some point, it will happen. And it's probably the single, um, you know, I would, I would not wish it on anybody. Yeah. But I think that having a healthy appreciation for it is very yeah. good, right? Because when it happened to me, I basically went out there and started a, uh, a competing business. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then started battling with my former partners. And, yeah. you know, all those extra zeros in their bank account versus my bank account yeah. matter. Um, and we're going back and forth. And I was nowhere near as talented as I thought I yeah. had because I had, I didn't have uh, a healthy appreciation for the team. For that the I was, team, the that people that you were working around, with. Right? So yeah. trying to go out and do it all on your own again yeah. is really challenging. And of course, it took me 22 months to lose everything. Wow. Uh, divorced. Uh, wiped out millions and millions of dollars in cash, tens of millions of dollars in net worth, um, and you know, up against the ropes like I would not wish on my worst enemy. Yeah. I would tell you that you know when I tell people that I understand, um, you know, entertaining your worst fears and having all those those 
those thoughts that are just really, really bad. I've been there, man. Yeah. And not only did I lose it all, but I burnt every bridge on the way down. Yeah. So I had, when I, when I lost it all and every one and every one. And so it took, uh, it took me getting to that place and ultimately getting to a place where I had nowhere else to turn. Yeah. Uh, that's ultimately, you know, I'm a product of one of those late night infomercials for real estate. (laughs) I'm literally that guy. I, uh, had no idea what, you know, who knew that late night infomercials change lives. Yeah. I, I was the one, you know, whatever it is, one in a million, whatever, who took the information and it was suddenly in the right hands at the right time. Yeah. And I went to a, I went to a real estate seminar. They, they told me about wholesaling real estate, which I'd never been heard of before. Yeah. Uh, and I quickly figured out that I could do that mm-hmm. and hit the ground running, started going really fast. This is down in South Florida now. And inside of uh, 18 months, it, you know, I was kind of back on my feet and made over a million dollars and was crushing the game again. Very highly transactional. It wasn't a business. It was a high, high earning job. I was going to say you were, yeah, you were yeah. working a job. Yeah. Basically. I mean, I was hustling, yeah. but, but you know, it was better than the place I had been for a while. Yeah. And, um, so got going and you know, the, the rest is kind of history. Turned it into a business, turned it into a really big business, started yeah. putting systems and processes and relationships and leverage in place and you know, business before I knew it inside of a few years was doing three to 500 deals a year. Yeah. Um, Suddenly now, you know, it's kind of part of the journey of how we have arrived at a place where our company now, REI Nation, you know, does 1,200 turnkeys a year. Uh, our other, you know, one of my other companies wholesales about 400 properties a year. We've got our education company and our software company and our coaching program and our masterminds. And so all of this, you know, looking back, none of what I have today would have ever even been possible if I hadn't gone through that really yeah. dark moment. Right. Well, I think I think that's a really a really tough thing for everybody to understand because we all we will all go through the pit of despair at some point whether we're entrepreneurs or we're trying to avoid that and do it in our our normal life we're going to go through a pit of despair. I think the thing that I always try to remind people is while you're going through it while you're in the mud you never really can figure out how beneficial it is or what you're going to get from it. It isn't until well Steve Jobs said it really well. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen his Stanford address. No. Oh, his Stanford address is absolutely phenomenal. Right? What do you say? Um, he says, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. Yeah. You can only connect them looking back. Yeah. Meaning like when you're in it, you have no idea that it's even relevant. Yeah. But you will look back. And, and you, you will, will see it. You will say that moment changed my life. Absolutely. And that's the way I look at that particular moment and many others is that, you know, look, if I hadn't, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am without the good and the bad. You have to be grateful for both. Yeah. You don't get the choice to choose. And I think it's pretty, um, you know, it's just probably nothing short of being childish and irresponsible and irrational to think in any way, shape or form for new entrepreneurs um, to expect to get in any endeavor and not expect to get hit. Yeah. I mean, imagine if I came to you today and I said, you know, Xander, hey, man, I think I want to become a I'm really dead set on becoming an MMA champion. Yeah. Right. And I've read every book and I've listened to every podcast and I've watched every YouTube video and I'm going to pick up the phone and call Dana White. And I think I'm ready. Yeah. And you would be like, Kent, you have lost your damn mind. Yeah. Right. Um, For obvious reasons. But 
to become a champion, you know, certainly in something like that, one thing is clearly has to happen. You actually have to get in the ring. Yeah. And you got to get in the ring and expect to get hit. And you got to get hit in the face. And you're going to get choked out. You're going to break your nose. You're going to break an arm. You're going to get some black eyes. You're going to get some bruises. You're going to go back to your corner and a coach is going to tell you, hey, this is what you did wrong. This is what you did right. Get back in there. Let's fix this. And it's going to take time. And you're going to, and that's how a champion is built. And I see a lot of people that get into business. And they get in and they don't expect to get hit. Yeah. And it's like, in any other world, you would never. That would be the stupidest idea. That would be idea. the stupidest idea ever. Yeah. But so why would you expect that in this world? You have to expect it. Do you hit. think Do you think part of that is because of social media? Because of course. Because we, we see all the, the, you know, the highlight reels of everybody. Yeah. You seven figures in four months and eight you figures in 47 the days. Yeah, yeah. You don't see the journey. You don't, you see, don't see what it actually took. Yeah. You don't see somebody, you know, the. That it's sleepless nights, wondering yeah. if you're going to make payroll, right? When you watch the bank account get down into, you know, triple digits and you're like, right. what is, what's what, happening? What's happening, right? Yeah. Uh, when you launch the marketing campaign and you invest twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 and it fails. Yeah. When you, you know, there's all these things that are just part of it, but that's, that's where the resilience, that's where the toughness, that's where the, that's where the champion is built. How do you, how do you think someone can start to build that resilience and that toughness? Get in the game. Get in the game and get hit. <laughs> Go, go get hit. There's only, I mean, again, I don't think you can avoid it. it, yeah. it it's the question of, listen, if I, if I want to. just having that right expectation of like, it. like if I want to learn how to take a punch, I have to have somebody punch me. Well, and I think part of it is also, uh, like I have a friend, uh, Pat Precourt, who owns an MMA gym and he's my, and he's my age. And it, and you know, I, I came up with that analogy after spending a lot of time with him because this is a guy that has said to me on multiple occasions that I love getting in the ring and I love getting hit in the face. Yeah. And to me, I'm just like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Right? What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And in his world, that feels like he's overcoming some yeah. obstacle. Like that, that's a challenge. It's growth. It's growth, right? He, that, he's expecting it. He anticipates it. He craves it. He doesn't want it because he likes getting hit. He wants yeah. it because he knows he's getting better, yeah. right? And I think that that is exactly what you do in business. Like I want the obstacle. I know the obstacle is the way. Yeah. I know if I well, have to get over it, I know I'm going to win. The Part of the problem too, if we think about it, you were talking about having mentorship and having your community and the right the right people in your corner, right? Most, most entrepreneurs, the people in their corner are just like we talked about, they're their friends and family, mm -hmm. right? And they don't like seeing you get punched in the face. Right. So it has, it has nothing to do with your capability of taking a punch. It's just when your mom or your best friend sees you get punched in the face, they go, oh, like, let's not, let's not do that again. Right. They, they just want to protect you. Right. But a good coach would be like, great, here's how you avoid that. Or here's how you take that better. Roll right. it this way. What did way. you learn? What did you learn? What did how you learn? How can we improve? How can we optimize? Yeah. Well, we don't take that same kind of hit because there's another one coming. You just don't know what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, to your point, the people around us a lot of times it, their protection of us is just as, uh, you know, is, is just as derogatory for lack of better words yeah. is just as painful to the journey, uh, as somebody right up in your face telling you, you can't do something. Yeah. Right. They're doing it for all the right reasons, but you have to be super protective of that six inches of real estate between your ears yeah. and understand that the only way to get to the next level is get around people who are at the next level. Yeah. And as long as you're listening to people that haven't been there and allowing them to occupy any of your thoughts, then clearly they're also going to, 
that will manifest itself into the actions yeah. or lack thereof that you take. Because you're going to second guess yourself. You're going to yeah. think of it. And you, you have to get to a place where you're constantly training that muscle. You're constantly training that decision-making capability. You're constantly training that, you know, I, I'm sure you've gone through the same thing I have where it's uncomfortable how many times I've pushed all my chips in. Like any logical person. Would every time, you. every time you reach a level and you find a plateau, then you go, "Ah, oh, shit! I have to do it again." Yeah, I? let's just. I got to put. All right, everybody, let's everybody do like, it. Are you? Let's do me? it. You're putting it all at risk again. Yeah, because like, that's what we've trained yeah. to do, right? Yeah. And I think that 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 is a really healthy place to be around. Yeah. If if you are surrounding yourself with people that are stretching you and pushing you and forcing that growth upon you then that is a really, really great place to be. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned practicing the decision-making, practicing the thought processes and all of those things, right? Well, we practice what we see, right? So if you're around those people, you're going to practice it, that behavior that you said, you know, get around the people that are at the next level. Right? Well, if you and get you, in a room with those people, brother, I mean, you've been there, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. You can't, you can't be a small thing. It's, it's inevitable. It is inevitable, right? Yeah. They, there is no small conversation yeah. happening around big thinking people. Yeah. You will be forced to go up. You yeah. will be forced to think bigger. You will be forced to have more meaningful conversations. It's just not allowed. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you will be forced out of the room if you try to have these petty. Because people at that level don't want to have the petty conversations. At all. Right? At all. So is and, Go ahead. I think Nick Saban says, you know, like he, he talks about like, I can only have A players on my team because if I have any B players, A players and B players don't like to be on the same 100%. team. So I have to get B players off my team. I mean, if you think about the most powerful masterminds that you're in, yeah, it's only as, it's only as powerful as his weakest the link. weakest member. Yeah. Whoever that weak member is in there, everybody is focused on that person. You got to get them out. Yeah. They're bringing us down. I yep. can't be around this person. And I can't. It, I can't. I can't pull away up here with this anchor back yeah. here. And I mean, yeah. we've been in those rooms yeah. together where it's like that guy <laughs> or that girl is a problem. We yeah. got to get him out of here. Yeah. Right. And that's that's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. Yeah, dude. I, one one part of your story that I want to dig into that we haven't talked about yet. Um, I've seen you talk about this on stage several times, but it's an airplane flight. Mm -hmm. that changed your life. I think mm -hmm. you know what it is, but can yeah. you dig into that and the importance and everything that you learned there? I think that's super powerful. Yeah. I think probably one of the single biggest lessons that I've learned, certainly in the last 10 to 12 years of my life is that even as an entrepreneur being successful, et cetera, I think that, um, probably the most powerful things that people can do to get everything that they are capable of getting is have a really, really healthy appreciation for time. Yeah. Um, I think inevitably people just don't quite understand the reality of it. We, uh, we, we know that we have limited time consciously, right? But we don't really There's a difference between knowing and appreciating, appreciating and accepting like right. the truth of it. And so when somebody sits in front of you, you know, and I've done this to thousands, tens of thousands of people where you sit there and you talk about, you know, uh, if, if you're an American man that, that statistically speaking, you're going to, you're going to live to the age of 78. Yeah. And just simple math. Go do the math. Okay. How many years do how I have? How many left? years? How many months, days, weeks, days, weeks, months, summers, and, and I promise you, whatever it is, it's too small. Yeah. And, but before you even do that math, it doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. It still exists. Having a hyper awareness of it 
and a willingness to do something about it, I have found is a very, very effective tool to get over fear. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'll share another one here with you in a second. But the there's so many people that are trapped um, with this fear. And whether they're starting a new business, whether they're you know trying to do uh, go to the next that, level, do something is, different, they and the and the fear manifests itself in something along the lines of I will do it next year, next week, next month, whatever a delay. it is, right? A delay, right? Yeah, which is just BS. It's just yeah. complete bullshit. It's just it's a crutch that we tell ourselves. Yeah. And but when you hear the words coming out of your mouth, it is terribly irresponsible. Yeah. Because you are somehow implying that that is guaranteed. To that you. you have a next year. Yeah. The reality of it is, is nobody yep. has that, period. Yep. And yes, losing a business in my life, a big business was, was a, a, a big, big deal for me. Having my mentor uh, hold my hand as he passed away at the ripe young age of 60 years old, a guy that I watched build an empire. Um, and have tens of millions of dollars in the bank. And as he's holding my hand in a hospital bed, um, dying way too early, writing on a whiteboard because he couldn't speak, and he's all hooked up to a ventilator, et cetera, uh, all these machines, he writes, you know, celebrate my life. I just wish I had more time. And when you see something like that, you realize, man, this guy has worked his ass off his whole life for money. Yeah. And at the, you know, at the expense of relationships and family and friends and all this, I mean, he was just a beast. Yeah. And he finally gets to this place at 60 years old and he gets to live his everything life. and it's taken away from him. And in that moment, the only thing he wanted was another minute and that money couldn't get it. Yeah. It's the only thing we can't buy. Yeah. But, you know, that was a huge lesson for me. But, you know, a few months later, I happened to be on an airplane. And I was on an airplane with my wife and five-year-old daughter. I had just been speaking in Memphis, Tennessee. We were uh, back to Memphis. Back to Memphis. We were on a connection back to our home in West Palm Beach, Florida, Delray Beach, Florida, um, at the time. And so we leave Atlanta on Delta Airlines. We're flying somewhere over North Florida, and because they had flown up to meet me to see me speak, they were at two separate places on the airplane. Yeah. I'm in 19A. They're in 26 E and F. And, you know, we're probably 30, 40 minutes into the flight. Suddenly I can smell a burning smell. And then I look up and it is like somebody is in first class uh, with a fire extinguisher, blowing that fire extinguisher right down the middle of the plane. I mean, white smoke is pouring yeah. down the aisle. And I got news for you, right? You never, ever, ever want to see that on yeah. an airplane. And Almost instantaneously, of course, the buzzers start going off. Wah, 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 yeah. wah. And then a flight attendant jumps on the speaker uh, and, you know, you could hear the panic in her voice. Effectively, she was, I mean, she was just like, you know, we're, we're on fire. We're on fire. Crew, return to your stations. Return to your stations. I mean, she was doing her job, but because you could hear it, it just elicited nothing but panic. Yeah. Right? And within seconds, the plane is going into a nosedive. Yeah. You know, one of those things that you know, when you're doing a little uh, flight announcements, yeah, you're doing all this little stuff like this, you know, or on the back of those cards in the back of the seat, they don't tell you that, hey, if they, if we think we're on fire, guess what we're going to do? We're going to go into a nosedive, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I I know this now. Didn't know it then, but that's what they're supposed to. I was going to say they're trying to put it out. They're trying something. to put it out, right? They're trying to. Yeah. But 
it is some scary shit, yeah. right? Uh, when you're at 30,000 feet and all of a sudden it's, you can hear Straight those down. engines winding, everything's filling with smoke, everybody's panicked, screaming, crying, everything, and you're going straight down. I mean, it is, it is gut-wrenching. Yeah. And, um, you know, in that moment, the worst part about all of that was that I, all the screaming, all the crying, you know, all the white knuckle, the only thing, only screams I can hear are my little five-year-old daughter screaming for daddy. Like six rows and back. she's six rows behind me and I can't get to her. Wow. And she is screaming for daddy. And I'm looking back and I'm trying to um, make eye contact with my wife. And finally I can, I make eye contact with her and we say goodbye. Wow. And, you know, cause I have no, you don't know what's going on. I have no, no understanding of what's going on, except that I believe that we are about to crash. Right. Yeah. But the captain comes on and announces and says, uh, clearly we're on fire. We are, going to make an emergency landing. They're clearing the field in Tampa. Uh, we are diverting right now. And um, your crew is going to come on. They're going to instruct you exactly what to do. And you're going to hear the command, brace for impact, brace for impact, brace for impact. We're going to say it three times. And I'll never forget that because shit got very real right then. Yeah. They don't understand anything about what's going on with the plane. They don't know if we're on fire. We, had, we actually made a fly by the tower to make sure that the landing gear had come down. I mean, it was super yeah. intense. I had taken out my phone. I recorded a, a goodbye video to my son that I still carry around with me to this day. Wow. Um, I mean, it was, it was real, bro. Yeah. It was extremely real. And, you know, we get, we did land. Um, and we, the firemen did come on and, and cleared the plane to pull up to the jetway. We all get off. Everybody's high five and crying, you know, hugging, kissing, you know, it was uh, extremely emotional and, you know, we get in there and they ask us to kind of hang out in the gate for a few minutes. And of course you've got the overly eager gate agent. That's like, Hey everybody, <laughs> just stick around here. We're going to, uh, maintenance is going to take a look at your plane and we hope to get you right back up and get you over to West yeah, Palm. I was like, yeah, you can kiss my ass. Right. I got, I, I rented a car as fast as I could <laughs> and drove. But in that drive, I can tell you I had clarity. Yeah. Big clarity, right? It's tattooed on my arm. I don't wear a watch. I wear a you know band that says the time is now. And every time I look at my wrist, that bitch is right. Yeah. Um, I time is not on anybody's side. Yeah. And to walk around in a haze or a daze and believe that it is is just completely irresponsible. Yeah. If you have dreams, if you have aspirations, <clears throat> if you know that you are uh, designed for more in life as I believe we all are, um, then stop listening to the naysayers. Stop listening. Stop, you know, all the droned out noise and confusion that somehow keeps you powerless. Go get it, but go get it right now. Do not, you know, do that bullshit where you sit there and tell yourself, I'll get to it next week, next month, next year, next quarter. That is all just the nonsense we tell ourselves to just keep us from having to make hard decisions. You know, hold yourself accountable. Because nothing is promised. If, if, you know, think about it. If you knew that this was the last two years of your life, for instance. Yeah. How differently would you live? What would you do? What would you do different right now? Yeah. Act like that. Well, if this is the last year of your life, what would you do? Oh, man, I'd be dead set on creating as much passive income as I could really fast. You know, go get myself in a situation where I had $10,000, $20,000 coming out so I could spend the other 10 months 
traveling the world with my kids and know that they were going to be taken care of and know that I built something that whatever it is, you know, and everybody's yeah. different. I record videos to my to my kids every day so they knew exactly what I stood for, what I stand against, what I believe in, and so that they could share them with my grandkids and my great grandkids. So I leave some kind of legacy. I don't care. Yeah. But to live life and not understand that we all have the same disease. Hmm. Nobody gets out alive. Everybody passes. And to act like you're somehow immune to that or you somehow have some control over when that's going to happen is just ridiculous. Yeah. I don't care if you're 25 or 65 or 45. Today, this week, this month could be your last. Go. Get everything out of life you can. Design something that your life and your business that allows you to actually control time. Putting yourself in a situation, you know, this is one of the things I, I really try to stress to people because there's a big transition that has to happen. You know this as well as anybody that, you know, when you start building a new business, you are officially a hustler. Yeah. You don't own a business. Yeah. Right? You are the business. Yeah. And you have to transition as quickly as humanly possible from hustler to business, business owner, owner and entrepreneur, yeah. right? And those two things are in direct conflict. The hustler does not want the entrepreneur to be there. And the in order for the entrepreneur to be there, the hustler has to die. Yeah. It is a completely different skill set. Um, it is people, processes, leverage. You know, it's all uh, automation. You mentioned, you mentioned earlier in your, when you first got started, you built yourself a job. Yeah. That was the hustler. That was the hustler. And that's yeah. what everybody does. Yeah. But the next level is you have to get it to where it is a business because only in the business does anything that looks like time freedom, yeah. anything that looks like, you know, control over the, the, the life that Your you life. design yeah. can start to manufacture, can start to actually come to fruition. Otherwise, you will be stuck in a job forever. Yeah. And it might be a job that pays you $2 million a year. And it may be a job that you created. But it's a job. It's still a job. Still a job. And it's yeah. real easy to figure out if you're in that place or not. Yeah. Just stop working. See what happens. See what happens. <laughs> if you stop working and there's not more money in your bank account than when you left in 90 days, yep. your ass owns a job. Yep. So get to work. Turn yep. it into a business, man. Turn it into a life. I love that. Dude, I, I do want to ask you one more area of questions. I feel sure. like we probably could have ended the podcast right there. But one thing that I do want to talk to you about, because you are the man to talk to about this and I'm very passionate about it, real estate. Yeah. What's, what's going on right now? <laughs> we are in a very, very unique time. And as you know, somebody that, uh, as you mentioned, is probably arguably somewhat of an expert in the field and has done yeah. thousands and thousands of transactions and helped tens of thousands of people, I will give you my, my opinion of where we are. Right yeah. Now, right. Um, that, look, this is the first time in uh, the last 50 years certainly since we've been alive, right? Maybe even further, that this is a supply-driven run-up of the real estate market. Yeah, It's always been demand-driven. If you think about yeah. back in the, prior to the recession, you know, it was all demand-driven and you had strippers buying five houses with no yeah. income, right? Okay, that's all demand. This is 100% a lack of supply. Yeah. Okay, so what that means is that since the recession, Great Recession of 2010, we have statistically produced 300 to 400,000 fewer homes, single family homes, housing units, I should say, 
than are needed, than our, our need, than our population, right. and that has happened consistently. We are now upwards of four million houses short right now yeah. and growing. Now that's one factor. The second factor is you couple that with supply chain interruptions that are all happening. Thanks right to now. pandemic and everything else and pandemic, you know, um, socioeconomic, everything going everything on, everything that's yeah. going on, right. Inflation, et cetera. We have serious supply chain issues. Yeah. We have serious issues with skilled labor right now. Yeah. Um, we have, you know, uh, some estimates of that we have, a, we are short a million skilled laborers in the housing arena, wow. which those are electricians, HVAC people, roofers, plumbers, you know, carpenters, that they got ran out during the recession and they yeah. went and found other jobs. And now they got ran out during COVID and went yeah. out and found other jobs. We're a million short. Now the challenge with solving that problem is if you and I today said, hey, we want to go become a carpenter. Yeah. Um, they're offering carpenters $200,000 a year. Great. It takes you two to three years to become, to become a carpenter. carpenter. Right. So, that's, so we've, we've got a significant delay. Right. Before we can so even think about even fixing this problem. addressing that window is two to three years, right? Yeah. Then you have you know, some estimates of 40% of all dollars in circulation today have been pr printed in the last two years. Yeah. Uh, so we have this inflationary aspect of it. The dollar is being, de being deflated every single day. It doesn't go as far as it used to go. We now have minimum wage being brought up, yep. which is now going to force more renters and buyers into the market. So all indication indications... At a, at a macro level, point towards there's nothing to stop this right now. Yeah. There's no good mechanism yeah. with the Fed or anything else to stop this in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, and so. Can that last for like not forever? Can't last forever. But there's no there's no mechanism that the federal government can pull to to adjust this. To adjust there's this. no e break. Oh, that hey, somebody we, can, we we're going to raise yeah. interest rates half a point. It will literally have no impact. Right. Won't do anything because interest rates are already so damn low. Yeah. Right. Who cares? I mean, a year and a half ago, we were borrowing money at four or five percent and had all kinds of yeah. demand. All right, so now we're borrowing money at three. What? If, tell me what half a point's going to do? Not going to change. Except all that. raise the interest rate on this enormous amount of federal debt. I was, was going to say the federal debt. Yeah, the ten. So they, they don't want to raise the interest rates on themselves. The moment they push like, that ten-year, you know, ten-year yield on that, that, that they're literally raising that's interest rates. Trillions of extra dollars on their for their own debt. Yeah. Right. So that's a that's a big no-no as yeah. well. Um, and so. There's no good mechanism to slow this down. So what do we do about it? Yeah. Right? So that's the big question. Um, I, with everything inside me, believe that we're this is the cheapest that houses and housing is going to be for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So which is crazy because even over the last twelve to eighteen months, we've right. seen so much appreciation, and it's what keeps it's kept a lot of people on the sidelines mm -hmm. because they're waiting for this other shoe to fall. Yeah. Well, here's your wake up call. It ain't happening. It's not happening. Yeah. Right. Uh, and this is the reason why you see companies like Opendoor and Offerpad and Zillow effectively paying list price for houses today. Yeah. 90, 95% of value, of current value, inflated values. Yeah. Why would they do that? Well, because they understand houses are going to continue it's, to appreciate. It's not inflated for long. Right. It's going to continue to move up. Yeah. And so what does what looks like a non-bargain today, when they, they look up in 36 months, will look like they bought it at a discount. Yeah. And so they're willing to play the long game. So what do we do? Do the same. Yeah. Go look. One of the biggest hedges against inflation is real estate. Real estate. If you have, I'm allergic to dollars. Right? <laughs> if money is sitting in my bank account, it is quite literally, this is not theoretically, it is going down in value. Yeah. Right. If you have a million dollars sitting in the bank right now in cash, you're a moron. Yeah. 
right? Because it is going down in value. How do you hedge against it going down in value? Go invest in inflationary and or go inflation, go invest in assets that benefit from inflation. Real yeah. estate. Yeah. Right. Go put some in crypto, whatever the case may be. Although crypto still there's a there's a you know, I have money in crypto, I'm sure yeah. you do as well. Yeah. The the verdict is still out, but is it a hedge? It is absolutely a hedge yeah. right now. Um, but real estate is going to continue to go up. Yeah. So get in it. And so yeah. what do you do? You go and buy cash flowing assets. Go buy houses, go buy multifamily, go invest in real estate investment funds, go invest in assets that are going to go up and that are producing cash flow every single month. Yeah. Right. Keep in mind, you can borrow money at record lows right now and you can ride the wave up. So if you're getting a cash flowing asset today and now can also benefit from the inflationary aspect of you're it, gonna see some crazy you're going to see some crazy returns. And ultimately, if there's anything you can do with value add to that property, if there's anything that you can do to you know, continue to, you know, keep in mind, you're, you're benefiting from record low borrowing rates. Somebody else is paying your debt. Yeah. Right. You have equity that is being built. And when you exit, I mean, there's so many ways to make money in this right now, but the one surefire way to not make money in this market is not get involved. Sit some cash in your bank account. Sit some cash in your bank account and wait and hope that yeah. the market's going to drop. I can assure you hope is not a strategy. Yeah. Get in the game. And so get in the game with people like, you know, myself and our, you know, a lot of people that we know that understand it fundamentally, that open their books and opportunities to people around them to get in and do effectively invest side by side with them. But sitting around and waiting, it's back to what I was saying earlier. Yeah. Right. The time is now. I'll get in. I'll get in next year. The time houses how what San Diego's appreciated something like twenty five percent, yeah, twenty two percent in the last crazy. year. Right? It's crazy, and it's that's indicative of a lot of markets. Yeah, right. I don't care if you're in Huntsville, Alabama, or you're in San Diego, California, or you're in Chicago, Illinois. Most markets, yeah. have gone up. Yeah, and it's they have not gone up because suddenly there's more value in the market. They have gone up because there's no supply. There's no supply, right? And, you and have it's going to gonna take time to fix that. And there is another huge phenomenon that is in the market today that didn't exist just 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, keep in mind, I, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And first 10 years of me being, or the first 15 years of me being in this business, my competition in the market were guys like you and me, mm -hmm. right? That's who I competed against every day. Um, that's no longer the case. Institutional buyers boys now. are now in the market. Yeah. Right? You have to look at Open Door. Uh, just got, uh, secured $9 billion wow. to go buy an additional thirty to 40,000 properties next year. Wow. Right? Um, OfferPad, Zillow, they're all right behind them. That, and those are just the ones that have cute little banners out in front of them. There are all kinds of institutional hedge funds that you've never heard of. That are just doing this behind closed yeah. doors. They yeah. Don't have, yeah. And though the banks and the institutions are in the game. Yeah. And they are trying. So that's even more pressure. Yeah. Right. And then depending on the market, you know, you take something like San Diego, not only do we have all that other pressure, but we have international pressure here as yep. well. Miami has international pressure. Las Vegas has international pressure. San Francisco. This isn't slowing down. It's not going anywhere. So figure out how to get in the game. And if you don't have time to completely educate yourself, go back to the very first thing we talked about. Surround yourself yep. with better people who know the information. Beautiful. I'm gonna I'm gonna close this one on that one, Ken. This has been absolutely awesome. Where can people learn more about you in real estate? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm easy to find. I'm on social. Just go to at Kent Clothier on Instagram, or same on Facebook, um, or hit me up at kentclothier.com, 
reww.com or reination.com. Yeah, and if you're looking to get into real estate, definitely check out reww.com. This is the man, Kent. This has been awesome. Love you, brother. Thanks, Thanks man. brother. All right, that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton. 